0: Hello. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And this is another episode of the Foundations of Freedom. It's been a minute. We're starting off the year right. We're starting off the year um, with a fun podcast. One that we've talked been talking about doing for a long time. Um, And today we're doing it. Today we will be discussing the life of what I consider now America's first celebrity, uh, and that is Davy Crockett. Uh, Davy Crockett was not only America's first celebrity, um, but I think he's one of the people that was pivotal in Americans gaining um, their sense of identity. In this idea of American nationalism and Crockett became popular at a time when uh, the American people were looking for ways that they were different uh, from the British. And the reason I believe Crockett became so popular is that Crockett represented what it meant to people to be American. And in many ways, uh, Crockett satisfied this new identity they were looking for. Uh Crockett was the first of his class to speak, to represent what the American dream was. He represented a group of individuals which were hardworking frontiersmen, not high in social class, but worked hard to make a fortune in the land of opportunity. And so today we will be discussing Crockett and his life, his many works, and his legacy. So, looking forward to this one, guys. It's be really interesting. I actually knew nothing about Davy Crockett. Now, like realizing after re- doing a little bit of research for this podcast, I thought I knew a lot about Davy Crockett, but really all I knew was like the 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 Disney song, like Davy Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. That's all I knew. I think I maybe saw a few episodes of the, his show from like the 19th, the Disney show from the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> oh, Jake, you're... Uh... My
1: bad. I was going to say, I always got him confused with Daniel Boone. Yeah. Now, now that we've done a show on both of them, hopefully hopefully this will clarify things for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I would say I did the same at, at certain points, too. I think it's confusing a little bit because... I often think of like Davy Crockett as being more recent in history than Daniel Boone and Daniel Boone being a little bit further back, but it's actually the opposite. Cause so Davy Crockett spans from, uh, quite literally like right after the American revolution born in, uh, 1786. And then he, uh, lived till the 18, uh, thirties as we'll discuss, but, yeah, I always kind of think of him as being like in the 1800s and Daniel Boone being before. I don't know why that is, but yeah, I get him confused quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty interesting guy. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting as I was listening to uh, the, the – um, the podcast that we were listening to to prepare for this Clay Newcomb's podcast. Um, he was talking about, and this is something I knew absolutely nothing about, but it's, I think an interesting place to start um, being that Davy Crockett was kind of this, uh, this uh, representation of what the American dream was. Uh, but uh, when he talked about the uh, Irish Scots um, being the prime settlers of the Western frontier and the Irish Scots being um Settlers that came from Scotland and Ireland, obviously, uh, they, that's how you get the Irish Scots. Um, but they were very, very poor. And the reason they moved to America was the fact that um, they heard that the what American Western frontier was this land of opportunity. It was free to settle. They could essentially move here and have all the land they wanted where back in ireland or scotland they would be essentially living sort of from my understanding as either they would they would rent their land from the rich or they kind of be like these indentured servants so it was almost a way to like emancipate themselves from their current living situation over in ireland and scotland so i thought that was interesting because a lot of the western settlers were irish scott um and now they played a, a I think um Davy Crockett kind of became their hero, so to speak kind of came came from that that bloodline um so yeah it's it pretty uh that was kind of interesting um because it kind of sets the stage a little bit to understand why Davy Crockett became as popular as he did, like even during his life as this um as this celebrity. Because like I said, he really was the first American celebrity. And we can get to that a little bit later. But early life on Davy Crockett, uh Davy Stern Crockett, full name. And he was born August 17th, 1786. So only 10 years after um America became America revolution, right? Um he was born in a frontier cabin in present-day Green County, um, which is near the, forgive me for my pronunciation, people from Tennessee, the Nolly Chucky, the Nolly Chucky. I don't know if I'm saying that right. How do you say that, guys? How do you say N-O-L-I? And I know I should have prepared for this. N-O-L-I. And then it's literally Chucky. It's the Nolichucky River in Tennessee. Am I saying that right, Jake? Can you correct me if I'm wrong? I'm
1: I'm looking it up right now. And it (laughs) looks like Nolichucky.
0: Nolichucky. You were
1: close. You were close. All your... uh... It was close, except for that the long, uh, the long U sound, the
0: long <laughs> U sound, the long U got that me. One
1: got you yeah. the yeah.
0: Nolichucky River in Tennessee. Um,
1: but for it, uh, for reference,
0: yeah, where are we at?
1: It goes
0: through. Present. So this is this is obviously before Tennessee was a state, folks. Yeah, um, so we are in seventeen eighty-six, but.
1: What I'm seeing on the map, this looks like it's near Knoxville. So the east okay. side, east
0: side of Tennessee, east side of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So at that point, that really was. I mean, you think about the east, uh, east side of where Tennessee's at nowadays, that's still considered the south uh, and not really the east coast. Mm-hmm. So, um, in 1786, that truly is the western frontier. Um, so that's uh. We've got to keep that in mind. This wasn't anything settled by any means. This is the wilderness at this point. This is this is predating Lewis and Clark. This is predating Daniel Boone's exploration. So there's not much. There's not much there other than maybe Indians in 1786. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was born uh, to John and Rebecca Crockett. And he was the fifth of nine children, uh, as far as I could tell. It sounded like he had nine. Uh, there was nine, nine of the Crockett children. So a pretty large frontier family. Um, obviously, growing up on the frontier, you're in this small little frontier cabin, and um, and most of Crockett's childhood is shaped by um, the challenge. You know, the challenges and opportunities of growing up on on the frontier and uh when you when you grow up on the frontier uh obviously it's a completely different life than say people in in boston (laughs) are, are growing up and living at this time right like this is a different part of young america um represented by these these almost like wild frontier people so to speak and these people i'm sure are being irish scott too like these people are kind of just absolutely wild um because they're coming from ireland and scotland they came over here on a what? boat yeah they came over here on a boat which is crazy like you spend what like three months six months in a boat yeah you show up you don't know what you're gonna get And you show up on shores. And then you don't go live in the highly populated areas. You go to the the western frontier where there's nothing. Just so you can have, you know, land for your family.
1: Yeah, not for the faint of heart. That's for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. You have to be a little wild. A little wild. So, um, grows up on the frontier um, in 1792. uh, So he would have been... 6 years old the crockett family moves to morristown uh tennessee to seek um better economic prospects and this is kind of a theme i feel like through crockett's life we'll see is he kind of moves around looking for better economic prospects he's kind of always on on the move for something bigger and better and you don't really like his life even sort of ends abruptly because he's just kind of a again as a lot of these like characters from uh the frontier that we've talked about white Herb and uh and daniel boone a lot of them just kind of wandered They were rambling for a long time and never really some of them just never found their their place where they could settle down they just kept going and going, and I think it is interesting. And I wonder too if it's kind of that wild upbringing—like you're just in constant, um, constant exploration mode, and you can never really settle down. And I wonder yes. if that's part of it.
1: You don't know any other mode outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Probably yeah, too, I th- because the country's still being developed, so there's not a whole lot of not a whole lot of businesses out there that you can right. uh, can settle down with or trades. You're still constantly having to adapt the borders mm-hmm. are always expanding so yeah yeah the country the country itself is in constant motion so so and why I'm, wouldn't you be as well right
0: and for somebody like that that grew up in constant motion it's just kind of makes sense you know i mean now it's easy to say oh that's you know like why didn't you settle down because the whole country's kind of been explored so to speak and right. you can still ramp i mean you can still be a rambling man around the states but it's the the amount of opportunity you're going to find traveling place to place is a lot less than you would have back then like you were traveling to a brand new place that nobody had explored with brand new opportunity so it is pretty I mean for for somebody like that it had to be a, a very sort of like everything was kind of there for the taking if you wanted to take the risks. um oh yeah sorry Tom go ahead
2: sorry I meant uh I, I didn't realize I took a drink of water right when you ended and I don't <laughs> uh, No, no worries. Um, but yeah I was I was thinking a little bit about that too of just how much I think there was like this inner yearning to see how big America was mm-hmm. and I feel like Daniel Boone and Davey really wanted to see how much they could explore and get to see with their own eyes and kind of be the first contacts with it all.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Well, I
2: understand why they, they wanted to just keep moving.
1: Yeah. At that point, nobody knew what was out there. So it was, uh, the sky was the limit at that point.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you sit and, and be stagnant when you had so much opportunity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, and, a lot of these characters too that we talk about, and uh, Dave is no exception. Like the the upbringing they had on the frontier, they did so many different things. And even we saw this with Abraham Lincoln a little bit. He did so many different things in his, and um, like his the ages of like ten to twenty, or even ten to twenty five. Like he did a little bit of everything, and um, that is something interesting when you're looking at a lot of these characters. They they had to do a little bit of everything to to make it. And so he did too. So, I mean, obviously growing up on, uh, the frontier, you, uh, learn, he had very limited formal education, like most of these guys do. Um, and, uh, his, uh, he, he basically learned everything he did on the frontier. So he learned practice, practical skills, um, and, you know, things like woodcraft from his father, um, and and a bunch of other fr- more frontier skills um by just living day-to-day life right in, in Morristown and then um as a as a young man at the age of 16 Crockett's father apprenticed him uh to a cattle drover and um so uh John uh David Davy's father John Crockett hires him out to uh cattle drover and and that's kind of the first journey that um that Crockett takes out onto sort of the frontier and experiencing the frontier um and so he, you know he learned a, a very very quickly a lot of those frontier skills like hunting tracking and survival skills uh during his time as a as a cattle drover um so yeah it it's it's always interesting to see how well rounded these individuals usually are just because of their their life experiences, not necessarily in a formal sense, but like they did they were able to do just about everything
2: that was so cool about them mhm yeah they're uh
0: yeah, it's impressive because like and maybe. And maybe too, it's just, it was a different time. So if you think about some of the things we're able to do now, uh, if you look at the average American and all the things they're able to do now, you'd be like, oh yeah, that person could do quite a bit. But I feel like it's just more impressive. Because we yeah. can't do we can't do the things that they were doing, <laughs> you know. If, if you if you ask the average American if they could go live on the frontier and, uh, and and hunt and track and and be a cattle drover and woodwork and do all these different things, you'd be like, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I can't do any of those things. And
1: if you think about it, it's like it was a necessity at that right. point to have those skills. If you couldn't pick up on it, there's probably a high likelihood that you're. Not gonna not make gonna it. Last too long out there. Yeah, so, no, no
0: yeah. you're you're meant for uh, you're meant for the uh, the um, the elite in the in the east in the east coast right. like east Boston
1: West.
0: or Philadelphia. <laughs> You're meant to be a Benjamin Franklin sitting in his yeah. little study. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're not yeah. Frontier material. Not nah, frontier material. But, you know, it it is amazing. Like, you hear, you know, you think about this. This is very, very early on in American history. You think of a lot of the early American history is all happening out on the coast, the coastline, the East Coast. And you don't... I mean, this is kind of the first story I... Other than, like, maybe some of the war maybe some of like the um war that was fought inland with like the indians during the revolutionary war at some of the like the forts other than that i don't think i've heard a whole lot about the frontier this early on in the country from any other source do you guys know of anybody else that any other stories or figures that were on the this far as far west as Davy this early on. I mean, I'm sure there was, but I'm just trying to think of like prominent figures.
1: Yeah, it was uh what's his name? Jim Bowie, who was in the Alamo.
0: Oh, Jim she, Bowie was another guy. Yeah.
1: I think he was Texas, so like west but southwest. We're southwest, yeah. yeah. Um, he's one that comes to mind.
0: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, because he also was um he was in the Alamo. He was well, in the Alamo as well. With Davey. Along yeah. with Davy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, he I think he stands kind of a head and shoulders above everyone else. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure
0: I'm sure there's more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just uh, trying to think because I was thinking about it as we were doing reach uh, for research for this podcast. I was trying to think. I think this is like the first um sort of figure I've learned about that yeah. was this far west at that time because usually when you learn about american history in this time period it's all focused around mm-hmm. boston philadelphia new york right.
1: exactly. um yeah. maybe
0: virginia but yeah yeah no, it was pretty interesting um it, sh- shortly uh, uh in 1806 uh so he would have only been in 1806 he would have only been uh 20 years old. Um, he married uh, Polly Finley and started a family. Um, and shortly after that, um, he joined under the Tennessee militia in the military. So he left his uh, cattle, droving experiences, job behind all that. And uh, he joined the military under uh, none other than Andrew Jackson. Good old Andrew, <laughs> old Hickory, <laughs> old <laughs> what Hickory. Uh, what a guy, what a guy uh, during the Creek War. So I don't know a whole lot about the Creek War, guys. Um, Tom, do you know anything about the Creek War? No, unfortunately. I, I, th- I think it, so. I know it was um, I know the Creek War was uh, it was sort of this conflict regionally by um native american factions i'm trying to remember which um tribes it was between but i know that the american military got involved um and you know whenever we got involved (laughs) in any war with the american indians it never really fared too well um but uh yeah here we go so uh the uh, the Creek War, also known as the Red Stick War, was a regional conflict between um, the Red Sticks, or also known as the Upper Creeks, a Muskegee tribal faction uh, who resisted U.S. colonial expansion. Uh, and the United States formed alliance with their tr- the traditional enemies of the Muskegee, the Choctaw and the Cherokee nations. So the Choctaw and Cherokee sided with the, the U.S. They made an alliance with the U.S. and uh, they went down there and they um, they took out the red sticks um
2: (laughs) it's just just
0: a a nice way of 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 putting it but um yeah so uh, this this uh, this conflict was basically all um because the uh the red sticks didn't like the expansion west from colonial america and i think the choctaw and the Cherokee nations were like it's gonna happen so let's just join them (laughs) <laughs> let's take out our enemies uh that's kind of what i got from it as i was doing a little bit of research on it but yeah, um like
1: most of it took place in mississippi and alabama as well mississippi that's alabama majority of it, of the yeah conflict tennessee occurred.
0: um S- southern georgia mm-hmm. um but yeah uh and the creek war ended i think in 1814 with the signing of the treaty of fort jackson Um, and that's where Andrew Jackson forced the Creek Confederacy to surrender. I think it was, uh, he put them in what's now like 21 million acres in Southern Georgia and central Alabama. So just kind of shoved them there, (laughs) picked him off their land. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Jackson was a wild man. We'll have to get to Andrew Jackson. One of these times I was, I was, I was driving through Tennessee and I was going over this, um, this lake and it was like old hickory lake or something like that and I was like yeah. I wonder if that has anything to do with Andrew Jackson and sure enough you know it's named after him so yeah he's a whole quite highway there old uh-huh. hickory highway old hickory really highway mm-hmm. it's interesting it, it really he's an interesting guy but uh anyways so yeah um uh you know he he joins the 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 Tennessee militia he fights under general Andrew Jackson. Um, Tom, I don't, I don't know. uh, Did did you in the podcast, did you listen? uh, They were discussing um, Davies. uh, He was kind of, even though he, he in some cases was sort of on the same side as Andrew Jackson. Getting into his political career, it seemed like he strongly kind of opposed Andrew Jackson and Andrew Jackson's approach, especially when it comes to American Indians.
2: Did you get to any of that at all? Um, I think I got to a little bit of it. Um, but I think from my previous recollection of that podcast, um, that was definitely something that was a problem to. Crockett, because he really wanted to make sure Indians were treated fairly. Uh And I do remember that Crockett did try to run for presidency, Uh but lost out because of his stance primarily for the Indians. I believe that's what I heard.
0: Right, exactly. And the
2: reason I bring that up is because in this case, it's kind of interesting because this is
0: Crockett's first real experience with Jackson. And I think because of – because of how this war ends, with basically the um, the red the red creek basically just getting exiled to this small part of what's now Georgia and, and uh, Alabama, I think Crockett starts to develop this um, sort of opposition to how people like Andrew Jackson look at the american indians because i because i think for crockett growing up on the frontier he grew up around american indian the american indians and he you know he didn't really have too many problems with them he sort of lived in harmony with them in most cases and so sort of like daniel boone as well both of them seem to have this like kind of deep profound this this deep respect for the indians And so I think, you know, Jackson, who's kind of this gung-ho, let's kick him off (laughs) early. Who cares about him? It's ours now. We're here to take over. That type of thing. That kind of rubbed Crockett the wrong way. And so um, I think the reason I brought that up now is because I think later in Crockett's life, as you start to see him oppose um, the Jacksonians, uh, the the group kind of surrounding Andrew Jackson – I think that's sort of when that opposition begins. Um. So yeah, just just uh, that's the first time they didn't mention it specifically, but I wonder if that played a role in Crockett's outlook later in his political career.
2: I'm guessing so because it seems like. He wanted to almost just become part of what he explored. Uh I think the Indians were part of that. Uh So I I think after the war experience, he didn't want to be on the side of just like moving people around. If they'd been there first, I think he was more of the opinion of like figuring out a way for the white men and the Indians to form some sort of society together. Like try to figure something out so that they, they could live together in their own ways, but also, find new roads to future prosperity with Uh getting to know each other and stuff Uh so i think i think crockett was definitely on the part of wanting peace over war Uh but i I think we'll get it to later but from my understanding of like the alamo he saw that as a good war to fight but i Uh wonder if he fought this war because he thought it was the right thing but then through his experience he wondered if it really was yeah
0: yeah yeah, I wonder that too. Yeah, it, it seemed like for, for the time he had a pretty nuanced perspective. Like he was a very, he had a very nuanced, like he was a pretty balanced individual when it came to his outlook on on sort of politics and how things should be handled. Um, so after this war, he's discharged from military service. He returns to his family in Tennessee. Um, and this is sort of steps the next chapter of his life, which is his political aspirations. Um, So he started to show interest in politics and community affairs. Um, His early political career in 1817, he was elected uh, as justice of peace in Lawrence County. I don't know what a justice of peace is. I just found this on the Internet. Do you guys know what a justice of peace is? I've never heard of that once. I'm assuming it's like Wyatt Earp. He was in charge of the peace. He's a they like, they like
1: legally marry people. That's about all I know.
0: Oh, is that right? That's all he was. He was just marrying people off. He was just a, a minister. <laughs> <laughs> he was a hitchhiker. Was not a hitchhiker. That's, that's not word. That's literally I I mean, there's
1: pr- It probably entails more responsibilities than that. But see, here funny. I thought he was.
0: See, I hear justice of peace, and I think immediately he's keeping law and order. But in fact, he was just creating more problems by marrying people there were, but he was marrying people and mar- the people were like you know i think it was i think it was crockett's fault i don't love him anymore yeah. we, we, <laughs> get, we got problems here. <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know um keepers of peace I know.
2: when you hear that you're like justice of the peace you know like somebody puts a smack down on problems you know but you know yeah
1: i looked on the the government website it says by definition justice of pieces are judges of local courts with limited jurisdiction they hear legal actions for small claims try persons accused of misdemeanors and conduct preliminary examinations of prisoners so Uh
0: like low level low level uh judges, I guess you could say. Interesting. Well, in 1821 he stepped it up, guys, because he went from justice <laughs> yeah. of the peace to the commissioner of roads. So that he went from he went from hearing low-level cases in court to commissioning roads to be built, I guess. Hold up to the big leagues. He, he went up to the big leagues. Maybe, you know, if he was if he was around today, we'd send him out to Chicago and maybe he'd fix all the uh <laughs>
2: Yeah, all. <laughs> he, could be,
0: he could take uh he could take uh the mayor
1: the mayor's spot yeah know, the mayor's know. spot he Fig- did a good job
0: figuring out how to you know keep traffic flowing and not have the road <laughs> shut down all yeah. the time <laughs> constantly being worked on uh, i don't uh, think i don't think the roads weren't you know up to standard when crockett was uh you know yeah. commissioner i don't know <laughs> i don't know if Even
1: Davy may not even be able to (laughs) do Chicago. No, Chicago's a lost cause. I think it's a (laughs) lost cause. Uh,
0: So he started out pretty low level government. Uh, But then in um, 1823, he was elected as colonel in the Tennessee militia. So he kind of moved up to state legislator. Um, And then he successfully ran for a seat in the Tennessee Senate uh, or the Tennessee state legislature in 1827 Um, moving up now yeah very quickly too like you go from like just a rinky dink lawrence county justice of the peace to state legislator within 10 years um and then uh yeah another interesting thing that came up as i was doing research it said he had a pretty strong commitment to education. I thought that was interesting. He advocated for public education during his legislative tenure, which I thought was interesting Being coming from a background of nor- um, not really formal education, being a frontiersman. Uh, interesting that he had kind of this very uh, strong desire for people to be, um, ed- for, for public education, make sure people were being educated. So... Um, I wonder if he saw that as bringing in uh, another a a generation of people that were well educated could you know do well in um, in a growing colonizing Western frontier.
2: I mean, if if I may, guys, I was just looking at these quotes from Crockett. Mm, Yeah. And one of them, he says that I would rather be beaten and be a man. And be elected and be a little puppy dog. Uh-huh. So it seems like um like he really wanted to uphold his principles in uh-huh. his office, and that must have gained him quite a lot of recognition, especially being um you mentioned in the notes that he was one of the very first politicians to come from what we considered the working class at right. that time. Uh-huh. And I mean he did quite a lot from my understanding in his political office. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. He was a, he was pretty successful. He was a pretty successful uh, politician. Um, And I think he really did. He, he kind of grasped the public favor. The, the public really liked him. And I think for the reason that he was just a, just your average American that was in there. He wasn't some high and mighty guy from, the East coast. That was kind of, I think, I think the thing about Crockett and this goes back to what I said in the opening. um, I think a lot of people felt like the Thomas Jefferson's and even the George Washington's and the Ben Franklin's and the John Adams still in this way represented the, the British. You know, they kind of still had this this aura about them, whether, you know, their, you know, their words didn't necessarily say it. I mean, like you've got Thomas Jefferson that was pretty opposed to big government. Right. But like just the aura that they carried. Was not that far, was not that different from the British and the place they came from. So I think for somebody like Crockett, who is one of that one of the working class, one of these people that's not an aristocrat to come and become a politician and represent them meant a lot to the American people because it actually gave the working class, the non-aristocrats, the non... Um, basically anybody that wasn't super well off sort of this voice, this figure to look at and gave them a hero. And so I think that's why you see the working class in America represented for this first time ever, those um, Irish Scots that we talked about on the Western frontier finally got somebody that was one of them to represent them in the government rather than these, that's why they call them the big wigs in Washington, right? <laughs> there's, a re- there's a reason they, they call them that. And like, you, you sort of, you sort of sense that, you know, that Crockett wasn't one of those, one of those Washington bigwigs, so to speak, he was kind of his own man. Um, so it was really interesting to kind of see that. And um, after his state legislator, he's you know elected to Congress in eighteen twenty nine um, as a Jacksonian Democrat. Um, he immediately, um, I mean, wasn't he? He, he wasn't necessarily popular um with the other other politicians though and some of the more well off we'll say aristocrat people in america uh, because he immediately goes in and voices his concerns about government spending and fiscal responsibility within the government and all these things that you know still are popular shock <laughs> <Talk laughs> about you know a hundred a hundred 200 years later <laughs> <TV> <laughs> um <laughs> rolling
1: over in his grave right now That's yeah in debt.
0: yeah yeah right yeah 200 years later uh you know you' you wonder if he he had a little bit of common sense about it um but yeah he um he kind of stood in opposition towards um, both uh, you know both sides of the aisle in that regard. He kind of was his own, his own. He stood to his own opinions. He didn't fall in line with e- either of the parties because, you know, in, in eighteen thirty-five, um, uh, at that time, uh, President Andrew Jack it was uh, Andrew Jackson's elected president, and Crockett openly opposed Andrew Jackson's policies, including the Indian Removal Act. Um, and that led to Crockett's, uh, the defeat, his defeat in the congressional election that year. So he actually lost that because a lot of people didn't, didn't like what he had to say about that. And, um, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily a popular guy with the, the people that, the non working class people when it came to his politics. But he was very, I think very much a man of the, the American people, the like the heart of the country, the working class people, but didn't necessarily hit it off with the Richie Richies. Yeah, a little bit of a threat there. Yeah, a little exactly. Too much common sense, right? A little too much common sense for him. Yeah. So, uh, I think it he his political career is really interesting, and that's something I knew absolutely nothing about because he seemed like he. Um, he seemed like, you know, in his, in his like five years of representing Tennessee in the house of representatives, he seemed like a, uh, a pretty good politician. Like he could be, make a career out of it. He just, you know, I guess wasn't at that, uh, at that time with his, uh, his views on certain things, I think. What really did him in was his uh, opposition to Andrew Jackson. But mm-hmm. um, I think he, he pro- probably would have stayed in politics. But it is a it is an interesting portion of his life um, because I can't I can't think of another. I mean, there's not too many American heroes that were a successful politician, also um, were working class. Uh they served in the military and then went on to solidify themselves as like one of the greatest American folklore heroes ever because they fought in arguably one of the greatest battles ever. I mean, can you guys think of anybody else? Maybe I'm just blanking, but I I can't even think of anybody like in modern times that holds that type of resume yeah really only a select few i would say and he's up and, and by like this time he's already starting because he he got really popular while he was at, 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 while he was a politician he got really really popular and um and people loved him like people thought he was like he wasn't just a, a like a well-known politician like people were writing like books about him while he was alive people People love Davy Crockett. He was was almost like, I'm trying to think of like a a modern American to compare him to. Because like his fame, he was like the most famous American. They were like writing plays about him. Oh yeah. While he was alive.
2: Nimrod Wildfire? Yeah, Nimrod Wildfire. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Tom, do you want to explain that a little bit?
2: So uh, there's... It was this during his time in Congress? But there was a Broadway show came out and um the star was Nimrod Wildfire, but everyone knew it was David Crockett uh-huh. because stories of his have came around and they put um quotes of his that people know he said in this the show. Yeah. So a lot of what he used to say became like common phrases for everyone. Uh-huh. Like there's one um what was it when people would say something, and people would be like, "Um, does it match up to Crockett or something like that? Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool that they made a Broadway show about him, and Uh the producers didn't say it was him, but everyone knew it was him. Yeah, Uh,
0: yeah, it's crazy, and it's crazy because, like, he's not only – famous this is this is not only fame that's happening here in the u.s he's like they're they're producing plays of like i think um nimrod wildfire was um described he was like a kentucky colonel right but it was done at the garden theater in london if i remember right so he was the the plays the plays are being done in london and paris and so oh. he's creating this world fame, this world persona of what what a Western frontier American mm. looks like, what the American person is, right? And so mm. for the first time in American history, an American is no longer this big wig, like one of the big. Well, I'll just keep saying big wig, but a big wig in Washington, like uh, John Adams or or Thomas Jefferson or or um, George Washington, right? For the first time ever, you get this different persona of Americans and it's this rough rugged man from the the western frontier that's what an american is and so all of a sudden the public perception goes from there really wasn't i there re- really wasn't a separation of okay here's the us identity and here's great britain it was kind of just like oh yeah The United States is basically just a new great, like it's a new, it's a new Great Britain, right? It's, it's just, it's just Great Britain abroad. (laughs) Yeah. As our, as our buddy Jack would say, it's, it's just, it's just France abroad. So it was just, it was just, it was just the UK abroad. But all of a sudden, America had this identity. And so it's really interesting to see that not only happen, he's not only famous in the US, he's not only a politician in the us he's he's this us politician literally showing up to um i forgot to mention this he's showing up to you know the uh the house of representatives you know he's he's showing up as you know elected official in the house of representatives he's showing up in buckskin rather than yeah. these wigs rather than these wigs and these fancy you know outfits he's showing up in his buckskin with his Bowie knife and in and, and his um, and his hat and so it, it's pretty or a coonskin cap so um and that coonskin cap a lot of people associate with Daniel Boone that was actually Davy Crockett uh, I think the story is that with uh, the coonskin cap um, it was I think I think actually they portrayed. Nimrod wildfire to wear this coonskin cap and Davy Crockett heard about it. And he's like, Oh, I kind of like that. So he started wearing a coonskin cap because of the play about him. So it's, it's kind of like this really weird, wild, like I can't think of another figure in American history. That's this like, wor- like popular worldwide, successful politician. And at the same time, like he's still I was joking before the podcast, he's still like kind of broke. <laughs> like yeah, he's, still, he's still he's still looking for things to do because he's st- somehow with all this fame that this this guy from the Western Frontier, he's like the most like the, the greatest Western frontier success story, the greatest Irish Scott success story on the Western frontier. He's somehow still like flat broke all the time. Um, but yeah, very interesting character to be this po- successful politician having plays written about you in the theaters in London and Paris, creating this, this world persona for America and who what Americans are um, being this celebrity. And then, yeah. And, and being this normal human being um, quite interesting. Um, Cause yeah. But anyways, that kind of, sums up his political career. After he loses um, the congressional election, it's pretty much over for him <laughs> in politics. He's done. Um, but obviously a very important um, point in his life and in, in history. Um, but th- then moving on to sort of the last and final um, leg of his his journey in life, uh, is the Alamo in Texas, which he's most famous for, I think, at least now. Um, so Davy Crockett's involvement in Texas and the Alamo is, is a, is a obviously a very crucial chapter in his life. Um, but it it showcases his dedication to the frontier spirit, um, his political beliefs and op- like in the end, his, his ultimate sacrifice. Um, so he moves to texas 1835 he's done with politics he wants a fresh start he's exhausted he's like okay <laughs> like we said kind of flat broke and he's like okay i'm gonna move to texas and he's like in in this new texas frontier well it wasn't it was the republic of, i mean you you've got like this giant area down there and texas isn't a state yet right um he moves down to this territory uh which is he moves to texas which is then still part of mexico um and he's like if i move there he's like he can he he was going to benefit off the land speculation in the uh, in the mexican territory he was hopefully going to make a lot of money for it basically told his wife he's like listen he's like i'm gonna go down there and he's he's like i'm gonna make he's like i'm gonna make a bunch of money he's like i'm gonna get us land and this is gonna be our new home um and he's like our our family will be set then and it's it's kind of funny you know you got this really famous dude and uh he's he's headed down to mexico because see <laughs> He, he can't even make it in his own, in his own country <laughs> that he's famous in. So he's got to go move to another country. Um, I thought it was just kind of interesting. Like he moved to Mexico to like basically get out of the U S because the U S didn't have any opportunity for him, even though he's this like, kind of super successful or famous dude. Um, but he goes to Texas and in 18, so he goes down there, 1835, 1836, the political landscape in Texas is very tense. You've got um these growing tensions between uh, Mexican authorities and the American settlers. And Crockett's inspired by the uh, the American settlers' revolutionary spirit. And he joins the Texan forces in their struggle to gain independence from Mexico so he's just kind of he he gets caught up in the whirlwind so to speak um and that 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 kind of sets the stage for the alamo so he just goes down there because he's like i'm gonna get i'm gonna get some land and some money off this and a lot of people were moving to texas because it was just it was another it was the land opportunity it was the next push on the western frontier this happens over and over and over and again American history right people keep pushing further west until they get all the way west but it, this is the next big push and uh he gets he gets basically pulled in right at the biggest moment in texas history he's just there i don't know how he i don't know how he just like showed up uh for like some of the biggest like i mean like he was just a, he somehow became like america's biggest uh celebrity and then all of a sudden he was there for the biggest moment in texas history kind of wild but jake i'm gonna share the screen real quick to that map um uh, for, yeah, yeah and then if you want to yeah this is a good visual um let's see can you guys see that all right
2: oh uh, yeah yeah uh-huh.
1: yeah okay
0: good. so right here you've got on the the uh, right hand side you got the united states and then you've got this the republic of texas Um, you've got, this is land disputed by Texas and Mexico right here. Um, and you've got Mexico here. Um, and so what ends up happening is the, uh, Alamo is right on this border, um, of the Republic of Texas and the lands disputed by Texas and Mexico, so uh, Santa Anna, who is um, who is the leader of the Mexican forces, he's coming up to squash this little rebellion that they got going up in in the in the Republic of Texas. So he heads up there. Um, they uh, and and they they kind of it it all kind of comes to a head, and the forces that are in um that are Anna's forces come up and the uh rep i guess the texas revolutionaries are all kind of in guys like david bowie and crockett who are there they all kind of end up in the alamo and it's like this perfect storm and that's what um ends up creating this battle at the the alamo which is a former franciscan mission um in san antonio so i think yeah uh david bowie david bowie was there uh crockett was there and william b travis were there just some notable figures um also, and, I, yeah sorry oh, yeah sorry go
1: ahead i think um it's important to note too that santa anna was a huge deal in mexico no. was he the general but he was also basically the head of the government which mm-hmm. is what what uh initiated the rebellion itself was that the texans didn't want to be ruled by Santa Ana, who was centralizing the power under himself mm-hmm. with uh he was the head of the government mm-hmm. he was the government so that was that was what uh precipitated this conflict so he's actually coming in personally as the the uh president of mexico to come and squash the rebellion mm-hmm
0: mm-hmm yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. That's a great point. Do you guys um uh Tom, do you have anything to add on the Alamo? Any Alamo um history that we need to cover here as we're talking about this before we
2: get into uh Crockett, get back to Crockett. Um, I mean one of the things that was really neat, I think the Alamo had like 147 people or soldiers in it from the Mm -hmm. Texan army. And from my understanding, the Santa Ana army was about a 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, they were outgunned 50 to one essentially. So I thought that might be a good way to set the stage of just how big of like an act of courage it was for the guys in the Alamo to say, no, we're going to keep fighting here. Mm -hmm. And how, they even sent a messenger to, um, what was that general's name? Um, was that Houston? Oh,
1: Sam Houston. Yeah. Sam, Sam Houston, Houston. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, he was too far away to bring help in time, so they they knew it was just them, and they held out for thirteen days, which was insane. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, I can't imagine being
0: surrounded. <laughs> By that many troops in a little, uh, in a little, uh, in a little mission because mm-hmm. it, it's not a. I mean, it's a when you've got that many people in there. I mean, you're you're surrounded there for you know, thirteen days under siege and to just stand your ground um, is crazy. It, it's um, it's, it's impressive, and I think this. This is like something too, that is so Texas. So it's very Texas. I, I really do like, it's, it's really cool to like think that this is how Texas started with a bunch of guys standing their ground. Um, But yeah, uh, pretty, pretty amazing, pretty amazing feat to withstand forces for that many days. And that's why, you know, it it goes down in history like this um, as it's almost like sometimes the Alamo is almost thought of as a victory in many ways. Mm -hmm. When you hear people talk about the Alamo, it's never like this. I mean, obviously it was a defeat, but like people talk about it like it was this this great. It was something that was done that was amazing. Um, And it really is because it it shows the testament of the sort of Texan. Standard around spirit so i think that's pretty cool um but yeah uh so during the siege uh, during the 13 uh day uh siege crockett uh you know his exact role is a little bit disputed but most people say he likely served as a lieutenant a colonel um and uh, during the those 13 days he at least from stories that have been told he he led kind of his men to to hold out as long as they as long as they possibly could um but in the end obviously we all know um March 6 1836 I think it was uh, the Mexican forces forces breached the walls of the Alamo uh and just ultimately overwhelmed everybody that was left inside um crockett um along with the other defenders fought to the end and so that is something that was noted even i think by santana is i think he said in his letter about the battle i think he noted that the americans fought till the very end nobody really gave up um and he was impressed by that um even in the face of death that they fought to the end um but no, uh there was there was um legend suggests because this is where the controversy kind of happens with Crockett because people really don't know what happened to him um some people think that he was captured and then later killed, but other people think he fought, you know, he, he died fighting. And so this is what people go back and forth. Like the, the Alamo people go back and forth. I was listening to some Alamo people talk about this, like Alamo historians, and they'll go back and forth and argue about, Oh no, Crockett died, you know, after he was captured and, and they, you know, executed him or whatever. Um, but i think it's kind of more fun to think of davy crockett going out fighting so mm-hmm. rather than just being executed so i think that's how i think that's how most texans like to think of crockett's death going down fighting um but that is up for debate. I should put that out there because some people are very passionate about that. I listened to a man debate another man for 15 minutes about how Crockett was captured and then killed. And I I'm like uh-huh. it didn't matter. He died either way. Yeah. <laughs> it like, yeah. doesn't make it any less
1: heroic. However, No, it, it doesn't
0: matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all. Um, but no, it very, very it was it, very interesting what people will debate about. But anyways. Either way, Crockett died a hero in the Alamo, along with uh, all the other all the other men that died fighting in the Alamo. Um, and this kind of solidifies Crockett um, as a, this like like elite American hero. <laughs> yeah. he, he was he was a he was a um, obviously a celebrity, and then like even after his death, just became a bigger and bigger celebrity because of his role in the Alamo. Um, and the sacrifice, like we said, the sacrifice at the Alamo became, uh, the rallying cry for the Texan cause, the symbol of American resistance. Um, and again, that just adds to, you know, the, the symbol of, of, of what it was to be an American that Crockett had already started giving, um, the American, the, the average American person, this um this sort of uh something to to look up to 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 see that it's it's possible even if you don't come from a lot to to have a good life in america so that's really cool um yeah i, I guess we could uh is there anything else about the alamo that we need I, to cover
2: before we wrap up. I did just share a picture um in the mm. chat here. Oh. I there was a there's a children's book I had, and this picture was in it. And that I guess that's always the thing that's in my mind when I think of David Crockett at the Alamo. Mm, I've seen his picture. Yeah. yeah okay, I'll, okay. I'll share it. Um. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of a a cool representation. You know, like his gun in his arm swinging, but. Yeah. Yeah. Just going down fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's
0: a, I forget. I've, I've, I've seen this picture before, but yeah, that's a, that's a great picture. Um, Yeah. That's what you want. You, that's what you want to think of with Crockett's going out, going out. Yeah. Gun swinging probably because he's, he's running out of ammunition and yeah. just fighting to the end. That's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think he probably would have fought to the end, but I don't know. Yeah. Because I, I, I listened to that third episode when um, Clay Newcomb was going back and forth. And I was like, well, I mean, from what we see of his character in other places of like, you know, going into bears, like when he's hunting his bears uh-huh. and like he's got all his dogs there and like it's getting a really intense fight. You know, it doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy to back away from anything. Right. Especially like shown in his uh, political career of like how he stood up for a lot of things that may have lost him the presidency, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I guess to me, I feel like from my understanding of David Crockett, he probably went down swinging.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think he went down swinging. I'm going with swinging. Anybody, (laughs) uh, Anybody that wants to fight me over it, you know, come at me. I'll, I'll fight some little little uh, Alamo nerd over this. Come at me. Come at me on Twitter. <laughs> Let's get Say, a little twi- a little Twitter war started. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start another.
1: We'll leave it open for debate. We'll comments are open. For, open. Yeah, comments are open. Come, you you down. Down. come uh, on the pod.
0: Come on the pod. Yeah,
1: change my mind. Change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Crocodile swing changed my mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> eh, take it how you will. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's just talk about the legacy real quick because that's something I started the podcast off with. I think um, when you're looking at Davey, you know, it's hard to deny the the impact he he had on um, kind of shaping uh the american identity here um he really did bring about this sense of nationalism and whether it was intended to or not um through the play you know he is the reason that like the rest of the world thinks when they think of texas Mm. they think you know guns and, and crazy people, right like, <laughs> like, like like he's the reason for like these really rough Western people. he's the reason that you know in in um, in uh, in that you know just be like he, they thought of Americans as these kind of wild rugged men and um, I think that's pretty. Amazing. And because of that too, he gave um the average American person something to look at and strive to be. Uh, and I think it in many ways captivated captivated young Americans' imaginations even in the last fifty years. I mean, like he's his story and um and his and his you know just Kind of the or in the presence of Davy Crockett has I mean I've learned about as a kid and I thought he was cool you know his story's kind of timeless um so he kind of immortalizes that in in uh, some aspects his legacy kind of lives on So he's this frontier hero you know you think of him as the frontiersman uh, you think of him, after after doing this, you should also think about him as this political figure that wasn't afraid to, you know, just stand up for his beliefs. And then obviously the Alamo martyr that he was plays a, a huge impact in in his legacy, especially in the history of Texas. Uh, and then just the cultural impact he's had. A, I think there was a bunch of books written about him. Um During his lifetime, obviously he had the plays and then there was the Disney television series in the 50s um, that most of us are familiar with starring, I think, Fess Parker. That's right. Okay, cool. Fess Parker. Um, So, I mean, just like the Mm -hmm. fact that in 1955, his story was still relevant for Disney to make a TV show is super impressive. And that tells you a lot about the lasting impact that, um, that his life had on, on American culture. And I think when a lot of people think about, um, yeah, America in the West today, even they kind of think of Davy Crockett, so to speak. Uh, okay. I think if you asked anybody, um, across the world if they knew who davy crockett was they might have some idea or at least a little bit of an idea and that's kind of amazing because he's like i don't know if you could do that today with any of our celebrities Mm.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know like i mean there's not too many names Uh, there's there's with social media obviously it's a lot more but like there's not too many politicians out there that you could go like halfway across the world other than maybe like our president right um or a former president that people would know across the world but like i bet if you went to i bet if you weren't somewhere in france or england you could probably say davy crockett and they might have a have an idea which is pretty crazy to say you know 200 years after somebody's left um i can't say i know anybody from france from 200 years ago other than napoleon so yeah <laughs> that's about it yeah. uh, <laughs> but no it, it's uh it's an amazing legacy that he's left behind uh in texas history in american culture in in uh in everything it's it's quite incredible um and uh he truly was the first american celebrity in that way and um and uh yeah I think there's a lot to a lot to be learned from Davy Crockett's life. A lot to be pulled out there. You guys have any uh final thoughts?
2: I mean, I think it really summed it up well, Aiden. I I feel like David Crockett is one of those heroes from American history that really was the hero in all the ways that people remember him by. Like there are definitely tall tales written about him, but like if you learn about the real stuff he did, it was pretty legendary. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool that there's such like a, I don't know, like a a bright spot with that part of our history Mm -hmm. with someone like David Crockett. I think it's really neat to learn about his story and just to see what he did with his life. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I don't mean to open up a can of worms towards the end, but I'm just kind of curious, like whether he actually knew or whether he fully grasped how much influence he had while he was still alive. Yeah, that's a good point. A celebrity, but yeah, that was something that was uh, on my mind. Like, obviously, he was still restless. He was looking for the next the next big thing. So I feel I like, don't think
0: I, I part like of me-
1: probably didn't.
0: Part yeah, part of me thinks he didn't totally grasp the impact he was having globally. I don't
1: think there was any reason to go down to Texas and risk his life fighting in the in mm-hmm. the uh yeah there, like if he if he had it made already.
0: Yeah. Cause I know yeah, I know he I know. went
1: there out of like like seeking. Again, he wasn't financially stable by any means. Right. Uh, um yeah
0: i don't i don't know if he i don't know if he totally grasped it i know he played into sort of his fame a little bit but i don't think he played into it the way in all the ways he could have i don't think he totally understood what to do with it necessarily um
1: in in my opinion that makes him all the more inspiring it it makes him him all the more likable it makes him
0: all the more likable yeah yeah because he he just kind of the fame wasn't for him necessarily yeah I I think that that is an interesting point that's something and that it's something I, you wonder huh yeah I, I mean it feels like just the way it ended for him that he probably didn't grasp it fully there's just no way I mean like maybe maybe I'm wrong but it just seems like there's no way you go you go down to Texas to find new opportunity if you realize the the amount of fame and yeah. fortune that could be made off your name. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you knew what to do with it. It's almost mm-hmm. like somebody that makes a bunch of money and like the the nfl or something and then goes and spends it all somewhere that's <laughs> almost what it, like you have all this raw talent but not mm-hmm. a lot of like directive exactly. <laughs> and that's kind of what it felt like a lot of times like just like reading and learning about him it's like he had like a lot of this like raw talent and passion mm-hmm. and like he was just like a, a go-getter so to speak but like didn't know how to apply it very well <laughs> and i think yeah, it, yeah. It, it's pretty yeah. interesting
1: i think being famous too meant something a little bit different
0: back that's in the true. day. that's you know, true you
1: could be famous but we that was before the days of direct deposit and electronic the monetization prices, yeah uh, yeah so got, uh, it that means- it's not it's not directly correlated with being rich rich and famous right right nobody
0: was paying him uh you know uh to be for the rights for uh Nimrod, wildfire, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. He wasn't yeah. getting royalties on the no. cat purchases. You no. Know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in today, in today's society, he'd do great.
2: He could really monetize oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, something I feel like he was really well known for is like his sense of humor. Yeah, I. uh, uh That's something we didn't touch on. I wanted to share some another quote with you guys because I think you'll appreciate it. Um, so he said that Congress allows lemonade to the members and has a charge under the head of stationery. I move also that whiskey be allowed under the item of fuel. <laughs> 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 I, okay, this guy tells us what's going on.
0: Yeah, he was a smart guy. Yeah. He was a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> after a while they wouldn't have been getting much done in congress yeah. let everybody drink. <laughs> you think about how think about how just uh you know inept they are at doing their job right now imagine them drunk trying yeah. to do the same job imagine imagine joe biden actually getting up there drunk um, just imagine just imagine it's
2: true it would be oh it'd be so funny oh it would be
0: very funny I think they should allow it. I think they should yeah. allow it once a year on August 17th on David Crockett's birthday. They yeah. should allow everybody in the in the government to drink on the job in honor of him. I think that'd be good. And remember, for you, um, if there's any liberals out there listening that are getting upset because we're talking about an American hero and you don't like that. Um, just remember this was the man. That uh, stood up for Native American rights. So you can shove it. Um, this is your hero, uh, and embrace it. And uh, yeah, that's what I have to say. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that think there weren't. Um, everybody was bad back then. Everybody, you know, treated everybody poorly. Treated the Native Americans poorly. This man stood up. This man risked. Actually, he risked. He jeopardized his political career just to stand up. Uh, just to stand up for what he believed in Mm -hmm. so pretty impressive to see at that point in time when everybody was kind of the opposite so it shows a lot of character there but quite a lot yeah 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 Hmm.
2: i feel like we should i don't know i kind of want to go watch the david crockett yeah Yeah, we we should go maybe we should go watch that yeah yeah
0: that'd be good good idea where is that let's actually find it before we close out so our listeners know where to find it uh they actually do you think Oh no, no
2: disney plus they wouldn't put it there they're too they're too yeah i feel like yes. that was the only thing disney did that might have been okay
0: yeah but they won't put it there he stands up for native american rights yeah yeah and he has uh,
2: guns yeah, t- yeah and he has guns yeah he an outstanding citizen. He is an outstanding. Um, where
0: is this? You might really have to dig in the archives, folks, for this one. There was a Davy Crockett movie, apparently, too, King of the Wild Frontier.
2: Was that by it with Fress Parker? Uh, no. This that's is one was
1: two thousands, right?
0: Yeah, that's the two thousands one.
1: Billy Bob yeah. Thornton, I think.
0: Oh, that's right. That's Billy yeah. Bob Thornton. Oh, I forgot so about I'm that one. Back. Yeah.
1: I don't remember if it was any good or not. I don't either.
0: Um, all right, folks. Well, just 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 use the Google. You've got the Google. Go out there <laughs> go out there and Google Davy Crockett 1954. It's a western, okay? Um, it was produced by ABC. It was on ABC at the time or it was Disney, but it was on ABC at the time. It has Fest Barker in it. You'll find it. You probably have to go on YouTube somewhere or somewhere on the dark web to scrounge this up to get the full two seasons. But you'll find it. Um, I wish you the best, the luck in that. But guys, worth I do. The effort. Yeah, it's worth the effort. Just go watch yourself a couple episodes, and you'll be you'll be all set. Um, yeah, I think we can. I think we can officially close this one out. I think we've done a great job. Good job, guys. I'm glad we finally did this one.
1: Yeah, it's it was been a long, a long time. It's going. a long time coming. Yeah. It's a long time
0: coming. But uh, we, uh, we, finally, uh, we finally made it here. Um, but I just want to close by saying I think Davy Crockett represents um, something really cool in American history. He was the first in his class, so to speak, um, to represent what the American dream was. He represented a, he represented individuals that weren't always represented at the time um, and stood up for people that weren't always stood up for, whether it was the Native Americans or representing you know kind of the working class man, uh, the hardworking frontiersman, the not so high in class, um, but those people who also worked hard to make their fortune. in the land of opportunity America, that was who Davy Crockett represented. And we can learn a lot from that today. Uh, We've gained a a lot of our sense of nationalism from David Crockett and people like him. And so we owe a lot to him and the people like him in our history. So just remember that. Um, His enduring impact on American history and folklore uh, should ensure that the, his legend, the legend of David Crockett should be continued to be passed down through generations. So make sure that you tell your kids to tell your kids to tell their kids to tell their kids about David Crockett. So that way in 500 years, we're still talking about David Crockett and he's still relevant. Um, but with that being said, Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the green dragon podcast and our foundations of freedom episode. We will be releasing foundations of freedom episodes roughly every two weeks now. We're going to put a lot of effort into those episodes. We really enjoyed doing those episodes uh, with you guys. So we want to get more stories about American history, American events out there for you and uh hope you guys enjoyed it we enjoy doing these for you guys so hope you guys enjoyed this week's show if you did you can drop us a like um leave us a comment or review appreciate it like to get your feedback what we can improve on what you liked about the podcast maybe what you didn't like about the podcast so we can improve upon it um and if you liked what you heard, you can go give us a follow at the Green Dragon Pod on YouTube, Instagram, and True Social. Uh, the Green Dragon Pod on Rumble and X. X, I said it. I didn't say Twitter, folks. I said X. All right. I said it. It updated on my phone and is now showing as X. So I will start saying X, formally known as Twitter, if you still have the Twitter app. Uh, that just means your phone's old and you didn't do the recent iOS
2: update.
0: <laughs> you can also listen to the show everywhere you go on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Um, and then if you guys like good laughs and whiskey, uh, go check out our full proof drinks on Instagram. We might have some full proof uh, podcast episodes coming out uh, in the, in the future. We will see, um, It's kind of when we get out of hand that we end up posting those. So you just keep your eye out. We may surprise you. We may. We may surprise you. You never know. But until next time, be safe, fight for what you believe in. And most importantly, be a good American. God bless.